today we are going to read a story in Luke chapter 10. So the same chapter that Austin led us through last week. In fact, we are going to be picking the story up right where we left off last week, near the end of that chapter. It's a very well-known story that we're going to be reading. Many of you have probably heard it. A story involving Jesus and some of his close friends, a set of siblings named Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This is a story with countless interpretations. Some of those interpretations vary drastically. Some of them even oppose one another. You might have heard some of these opposing interpretations. And this is one of the tricky things of trying to interpret narrative portions of our scripture. We don't always find a clear-cut moral to the story. There's not always an explicit point, but we have to do a little bit of digging and wrestling to try to figure out what the story might be leading us into. So with that in mind, as we read through this story this morning, I'm not suggesting that I have the right or exact interpretation Rather, I I simply want to draw our attention to a few interesting features of this story, a few interpretive possibilities, and then I want to conclude with what to me seems to be the main point that the story is building towards. So let's begin reading Luke chapter 10. We'll start in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Stop there. We're not making it very far before I have to add something. There's quite a bit of backstory here that I think we need to consider that will be helpful in understanding what's going on here and the significance of some of the events that follow. We are told that as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. Jesus entered a village. It sounds pretty nondescript at this point. Luke doesn't even waste the space to give us the name of the village they enter. This is sort of like the quintessential no-name town in rural middle America. If you've ever been on a cross-country road trip or cross-state road trip or, in our case, a cross-county road trip, you have probably encountered this kind of a village. This is like the town that you stop in when you're on a road trip for gas and You didn't even know there was a town at this point in the road. It's just the necessary evil to get to the good stuff. Um, That's kind of how I picture this town that Luke doesn't name, although we do find the name for this village elsewhere in the story. We can infer, based on who who Jesus stays with in this village, that this is a little place called Bethany, a little place called Bethany, the home of of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This is a family that had become like family for Jesus during his ministry. Many people believe that aside from the mother of Christ, that Mary and Martha were the two women that Jesus was closest with throughout his life. In John chapter 11, we we see that loving affection Jesus had for these siblings repeated time and time again by the gospel author John. He says things like this, Lord, the one you love is sick. Or Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. And then 
onlookers commenting on everything that has transpired in this great story in John chapter 11, they, they respond to that saying, see how he loved Lazarus. It is not surprising then that Martha, here in Luke chapter 10, welcomes Jesus into her home. And this welcome, this feeling of at-homeness that Jesus seems to have experienced here in Bethany, I think is significant in his life of ministry, especially toward the end of his life. In fact, during the final week of his life, Bethany was more or less his home. This is where he chooses to spend those final six nights before his crucifixion in Bethany. Just two miles east of the great city, two miles east of Jerusalem on the southeastern side of the Mount of Olives. This was a tiny village of a, just a few hundred people. A town that was probably more or less forgotten by most people. I mean, it had some industry. It had a plethora of trees which provided some income for folks in Bethany. It had pomegranate, olive, almond, fig trees. So there was some industry, and maybe Bethany was a good place for people to stop and rest as they were traveling. But aside from those things, more or less, Bethany existed in the shadow in the shadow of the truly important city, in the shadow of the, the religious epicenter, the, the place of prominence, the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a city of fifty to 60,000 people that could swell to a few hundred thousand during a religious festival. Think about the difference between these two towns separated by just a couple of miles, the, the disparity between these towns. And it seems as though Bethany is where Jesus really wanted to be. This is an intriguing part of the story. Here, here Jesus is a devout religious teacher with varying times throughout his ministry, a, quite a large following. He's spending the final week of his life, his passion in the holiest of cities in Jerusalem. That, that would be the typical assumption. Of course, Jerusalem is where that guy belongs. And he did spend his days in Jerusalem, but then he would retreat each night a couple of miles to this special place called Bethany. It seems as though Bethany felt like home right before his death. This is where he could find solace, where he could find safety and the, the comfort in the fellowship of dear friends, not being bombarded constantly by those who wanted something from him, also not being harassed by those seeking to end his life, those seeking to end his ministry and his impact among the people. Bethany seems to have felt like home. So we're told in verse 38, so we're still in that first verse, we're told in verse 38 that Martha welcomes Jesus into her home. I think this welcome is important, and perhaps one of the reasons Jesus seems to have felt such peace here, because he doesn't, doesn't get that sort of warm, but also genuine acceptance in too many places. Yeah, Jesus does have throngs of people gather around him that are enthralled with him, 
until he says something that they don't quite get or until he says something that they can't handle. And then what happens? They depart. They disperse. They, they leave him in their dust. It's one of the fascinating things about the life and ministry of Jesus that, that God incarnate, God who put on human flesh to dwell among his creation, this Galilean itinerant prophet is rejected constantly throughout his life. In nearly every place, there's at least some rejection. Most situations, there is rejection. Creator of everything, despised and rejected by his creation. It's a tragic story, to be sure, but one that the, the gospel authors continually give voice to. This is how John puts it in chapter 1 of his gospel. He said, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And then verse 11, it becomes clear. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Or Mark chapter 6, where Jesus says, uh, it's only in his own hometown that a prophet is without honor among his own people. Or Matthew chapter 8, when a scribe says, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus responds, okay, that's great, but you have no idea what you're saying. You have no idea what that commitment is going to cost you. Why? Jesus goes on, because foxes have holes. And birds of the air have nests to stay in, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That is the type of reception that Jesus typically gets. He's not welcomed everywhere he goes, which must have been an exhausting way to live. I spent several years working in the tourism industry, which meant I was constantly on the road traveling. And that work was seasonal. I would work five months a year, and then the remaining seven months a year, I would do more traveling because I had no responsibilities. So I would just kind of float around, travel, and it was a great season in life, but by the end of it, it was also pretty exhausting because I was never sleeping in the same bed for very long. I was always on the go, living out of a, a suitcase. And so part of this is just the plight of an itinerant minister. If you travel for work, you may understand a little bit of that exhaustion. But for Jesus, then, you add to that the complexity of folks constantly misunderstanding you and everybody wanting something from you and many people just wanting you to disappear. That's the life of Jesus. But things seem to be a bit different in Bethany. In Bethany, he found genuine friendship. Genuine receptions, genuine acceptance, and sometimes that alone is enough to keep you going. Now, I don't think this is the main point of the story, but I do think it's something that's certainly worth thinking about in relation to this family in Bethany. Perhaps your gift to somebody else. Perhaps your ministry, maybe even in this community, is to extend that sort of hospitality. To give somebody that 
sort of home, that kind of welcome and embrace. That, to be clear, that's not flashy at all. I mean, this is Bethany, for goodness sake. That type of ministry is not flashy. It's obscure. It's maybe seen as unimportant. It goes unnoticed. It's the type of hospitality. It's the sort of work that is done in the shadows. Probably aren't many accolades that come along with that. It's probably going to involve a lot of anonymity, but it's also the sort of ministry that changes a life. It might be the very thing that somebody needs just to keep going. Let's continue. We've made it to the second verse of this story. Verse 39. Speaking of Martha, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. We'll stop here as well. If you have siblings, I'm sure this scenario sounds very familiar. I think of me and my brother as kids constantly arguing over whose turn it was to wash and whose turn it was to dry the dishes. This is before nearly every house had a dishwasher. I was the one to wash last night. It's my turn to dry. Or I shared a room with that same brother for many years growing up. And if you don't already know this about me, I like things to be tidy. And that was even the case when I was a young child. I liked my room to be neat and tidy, and my brother to this day prefers living in a pigsty, which obviously was going to be a source of tension in our relationship because I would do what I could to keep my half of the room straight and clean, but it was always a disaster. His stuff always spilling over into my side of the room. Like, he was not contributing anything at all to giving us a comfortable place to live. That, that's sort of what I think of here. I, I would imagine that that's a common source of contention among many sibling sets. And Martha here in this story has had it with Mary's refusal to help out. Now, there are a hundred different directions that we could take this story, interesting angles to look at it from, and we can't address all of those possibilities. Furthermore, it seems that everybody lands in a different spot in trying to understand what's going on here and who we should be trying to emulate. Some think that Mary is wise and to be emulated. Some, yours truly, think she's rather irresponsible. Some think Martha is the responsible one tending to her duties. That's what I'm thinking as I read the story. Some think she is overly critical and completely concerned with the wrong things. And to be fair to Martha, somebody had to make dinner, right? There are real needs that must be taken care of and addressed, and those needs don't disappear just because somebody comes over for dinner. In fact, having a guest in your home usually increases some of those responsibilities and duties. But we find Martha, who is distracted with much serving, Luke says. It seems to paint Martha in a little bit of a negative light, at least a little, and to be 
honest with you, this is difficult for me to hear because at times my perfectionist tendencies can cause me to sort of exhibit this Martha syndrome, if we would call it that. I, I have to guard against becoming so engaged in tasks, engaged in preparation and perfect implementation of a plan that I don't neglect to miss out on the important thing. Obviously, when hosting a meal or hosting a guest time with that guest, that's the most important thing in that moment. But as I think about this, there is some tension here because that time with a guest is going to be much more meaningful for everybody involved if the surroundings aren't an absolute disaster. Do you know what I'm saying? So I get why Martha is frustrated with Mary. She helped me get some stuff ready for this evening, but then just disappeared, and I'm left to do everything else. Lord, do something about this. Surely you must see that this isn't fair. Tell her to pull her weight. She's only going to do it if she receives this instruction from you. Now, to be fair to Martha, which I think is officially the second time I'm apologizing for Martha, (laughs) trying to encourage you to give her the benefit of the doubt, which I think is probably as revealing about me as anything, but give Martha the benefit of the doubt here. I'm sure that Martha, too, wanted to spend time with Jesus. Jesus is a guest in her home, and I think if you lean in the direction of these characteristics of Mary, this is where you can help a Martha out. Maybe everybody in the situation needs to concede a little bit. Sometimes if you know that somebody cares about order and precision, it would be okay for you to help out so that they too can enjoy the benefit of the main event, so that they can engage in the truly important thing. Maybe Mary here does need to be willing to sacrifice a bit so that Martha can fully participate as they have this guest in their home. A Mary can contribute so that Martha, too, can engage. But again, that's just a possible takeaway. I think it's something interesting to think about, but the real point comes, I think, when Jesus responds to Martha's frustrated request in verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Martha, Martha. Jesus responds rather gently here. There is some correction, but it doesn't seem to be chastising in nature, or it's not overly critical. It's rather encouraging and seems to be nudging Martha in a particular direction just a little bit. Martha, you're anxious about many things, even good things. But sometimes those good things need to be put on hold for something that is more important in that moment. It's not at all to deny the necessity or the importance of the things that are troubling Martha. Martha, you're frustrated with Mary, and that's fine. I I get it, but Mary is actually engaged in the most important thing. Mary is engaged. She has chosen the good portion, sitting at my feet, 
becoming a disciple. Martha, calm down a little bit because you could actually learn a little something from Mary's example. Mary has chosen the good portion. She has chosen the most important thing, which is to sit at my feet, to learn from me, to become my disciple. Now, in this culture, that's quite a presumptuous and even inappropriate posture for Mary. The phrase that Luke uses in verse 39 is this, Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. That phrase is culturally significant because that is precisely what a Jewish student or disciple would do. They would sit at the feet of their chosen rabbi or teacher. And with the use of this language, Luke seems to be suggesting that Mary is doing much more than just hanging out with a friend. She's doing much more than just hanging out with a guest and avoiding her responsibilities, but she is positioning herself in the place of a disciple of her rabbi. Now, that doesn't sound at all crazy to our 21st century ears. But by and large, in first century Judaism, this was rather unacceptable. Women were not permitted in this position to sit at the feet of a rabbi. That was a role reserved for men. Women, so Mary in particular in this story, should have been with Martha. She should have been tending to those domestic tasks with Martha, and maybe that's a part of Martha's frustration. What she's doing is uncalled for. It's inappropriate. Maybe it's more than just personal annoyance with a sibling, but this is actually unacceptable. She is in the wrong here. But in Jesus' response, we see that he completely upends that cultural assumption when he refuses to rebuke Mary, but doesn't stop with the refusal to rebuke Mary. He actually takes it a step further in saying, this is exactly where she is supposed to be. So Jesus apparently approves of Mary's interest in these maybe intellectual and spiritual matters. Jesus approves of her desire to sit under the instruction as a disciple. Culturally, yeah, that was the role of a man. No, Jesus says, whosoever will, come. Who is thirsty? Come, that's the only requirement. That's the only prerequisite. Are you thirsty for what I have to offer? Sit at my feet. And I think this, to me, seems to be the point the story is building. To more than correction for Martha, Jesus seems to be inviting Martha. Martha, follow me. Sit at my feet Learn from me. You're worried about many things, Martha, and those are legitimate concerns. But there's only one thing that truly matters, and that gives shape to every other concern you have. Sit at my feet. I think the invitation is the same for us. Jesus beckoning us, sit at my feet. We have many concerns. 
We have many goals and aspirations, maybe in our families or in our occupations. Many things that are busying and troubling our minds. And Jesus, I think, would say, you're troubled by many things, but the only truly important thing is to sit at my feet. That shapes everything else in your life. In the writings of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, we read this. Paul, after listing some of his personal accomplishments, sort of going through his resume, and all of his achievements and the accolades, and responding to that list of accomplishments, in verse 7 he says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's not that those things are unimportant, but compared to knowing my Lord, yeah, they pale in comparison. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Sitting at the feet of Jesus and becoming a disciple is the most important thing about you. It's the most important task you can engage in. Your other tasks, your other worries, your other responsibilities, they, those don't disappear. But sitting at the feet of Jesus changes how we view those tasks, changes how we approach those tasks, changes the importance that we place on those responsibilities. Martha, as we read through the Gospels, apparently responds to the invitation that at some point Jesus extends to her. Throughout John 11, that section from John we referred to earlier, again and again, John expresses Martha's trust and belief in her Lord. At some point, Martha has responded to this invitation from Christ, sit at my feet and become my disciple the question I want to leave us with is how will we respond to that same invitation? I believe we have the same invitation. Sit at my feet. How will we respond? We all have many things going on, many cares, many concerns, many goals, things that we hope for. But compared to our discipleship, compared to Knowing, my Lord, those things pale in comparison. I count everything a loss. I count everything a loss compared to knowing Christ. Because sitting at the feet of Jesus and knowing Jesus animates everything else in our lives. Would you stand this morning? Kevin, if you want to come up, and Austin, if you want to join me as we prepare to celebrate around the Lord's table today.